where do you go when you're looking to just not only protect your downside, but optimize for more? Where do you go when you want to go from 80 to 100? Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, it's Angela here. How can you work smarter instead of harder? That's always something that's on my mind. I'm always constantly looking for hacks that either make me more productive, more energy filled or get me into a flow state more easily. And I know that you, uh, the listeners, are also looking for these similar things from all the comments that I get from you and the emails. So I'm thrilled, frankly, to share this episode with you today because I am with Boomer Anderson and we're talking all about nootropics, in particular, one in particular called Methylene Blue, which is just an awesome uh, nootropic that essentially, apart from turning your tongue bright blue, which you might have seen if, you could, if you're following me on social media um, when I take it, it also powers your um, production of ATP. So it powers the mitochondria, which are the little energy powerhouses of our cells. And it's extremely effective. You can take it on its own or you can in these little things called trochies. Um, and you basically let it melt in the side of your mouth um, takes effect really quickly. You can take it on its own, as I say. They've now produced something called Just Blue. And you can also take it in combination with nicotine, caffeine, and hemp. So the um, the, the nicotine isn't for everyone. We discuss all about that on this podcast and how in these micro amounts, it's not generally addictive and it's also an incredible nootropic. My personal preference is to take the Just Blue on its own. I've tried both um, and I do like the Just Blue. It also means that I can kind of pair it with another um, kind of nootropic style substance like caffeine or anything else that I'm taking, Uh, but it works just fine on its own. In fact, it works incredibly well on its own as well. So I think you're going to really enjoy listening to Boomer. He is driven by curiosity and long tail opportunities, and he has a personal philosophy of challenging the process which led to the acquisition of an eclectic number of roles. Um, He's an entrepreneur, a practitioner, um, a human guinea pig speaker and investor, and he's deeply involved in business development and strategy for Smarter Not Harder Inc. He's also um, the head of the health optimization practice in Europe. And as a practitioner, he helps other entrepreneurs change the world by optimizing their health. He's also got an amazing podcast called Decoding Superhuman, which is a muse gone wild. And it's got over 180 episodes covering various domains of health optimization. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy listening to Boomer. We have a great chat. We swap biohacks. And most importantly, we dive into how you can really work smarter, not harder. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Boomer. So, hey, Boomer, it's so great to be with you today and have you on the show. I'm excited to have you here. Angela, it's great to be here. I know we have a lot of mutual friends, so it's finally good to catch up in this way. We do, indeed. And so it's, it's great to finally meet and hopefully one day it'll be in person. We won't have to do it um, remotely like this on Zoom. Um, but so let's kick off with, because I know you're in a very similar area to me um, in terms of health coaching for performance. And like me, you have a bit of a, I suppose, a checkered background, not in law, but in investment banking. Um, So just, yeah, can you just give us a bit of an intro on how you went from investment banking to getting into health and performance? Oh, 
how long do we have here? <laughs> this, is a, <laughs> this is a very good question. So it, so my entire life, I've been obsessed with this idea of performance, right? And I'm sure you felt similar way growing up, whether it was academics, athletics, I, I just wanted to live at that next level. And that eventually dragged me into Wall Street, where, you know, ironically, I started my Wall Street career, if you will, on September 15, 2008, which was the day that Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy and AIG got nationalized. Oh. Uh, so it was, a, it was a, I guess, ominous if you will start, um, but it was, mm. it was a, a great time to be at the bank. And because I was able to advance pretty fast, um, after two years, I got sent to Singapore. I was supposed to be there for two years, lived there for six. And after, at the age of 25 or something like that, I had this really, uh, really great job of running a financing desk uh, across all of South Asia. So my territory was basically from India to Indonesia. During this time, I actually thought I was healthy and I was doing you know, everything from mixed martial arts to crazy CrossFit 10 times a week and to, you know, following whatever the diet of the day was. And uh, around that time, I was also getting into this idea of quantified self. And back then it was these really esoteric forums on the internet. And you would just, uh, you would kind of use these end of one experiments to see how to better yourself. And for me, what were the goals? It was simply to look good naked, to not sleep so much and to work hard. Uh, you kind of know how this story ends. Fair right? enough goals, yeah. right? They're yeah. pretty similar to my <laughs> Yeah, and so you kind of know how this story ends. When you're not sleeping, when you're changing time zones pretty much every week, and you're stressed out of your mind, well, at the age of 30, I found myself uh, getting diagnosed with a little bit of a heart condition. And yeah. at that point, you kind of look at it and say, okay, somebody gives you a probability-weighted outcome of you having a cardiac event, or I can choose another path. And around that time, uh, my now fiance and I decided to uh, really investigate living somewhere else. At this point, I'd lived most of my life in the United States and a good portion of my life in Singapore. And so Europe became a natural alternative. Uh, and I also became very, very interested in my own health because of that condition. And the way I went about, I guess you can say remedying or getting it under control was uh, very methodical, data-driven and after I, I started making progress, feeling better, seeing, you know, just looking better and performing better, I had some former colleagues that were like, hey, can you do this for me? I had no intention of ever getting into this coaching realm, but sometimes an opportunity presents itself and I like the people that I was working with. Mm -hmm. You know, fast forward a number of years later, uh, we can get into sort of the frameworks that I work with now because that has a lot to do with uh, health optimization, medicine, and practice. But I, I just really enjoy working with entrepreneurs. And so uh, what I like to do is to help people change the world. And because you know, I'm only one person, you know, how do you do that? Well, I look at entrepreneurs and executives in these types. And these are people that are making decisions which could have a knock-on impact that, of changing the world and how they treat the people that report to them, it really, really matters. And so, you know, trickle-down effect in this case does work. And so I look at sort of entrepreneurs as that Archimedes lever for me to help change the world. And if I could change their perspective on health, hopefully it'll help change the perspective of others. Very true. Amazing. 
Um, I love that. And so when you're looking at the parameters with them, we're obviously going to get into like optimizing things like nootropics. And I definitely want to talk to you about the, the work you're doing with transcriptions. Mm-hmm. But firstly, looking then at how can you optimize these individuals and help them to perform better? You mentioned yourself that you were you were pretty burnt out by 30, you had this heart condition, and yet ostensibly you seemed fit, right? You were doing things like CrossFit. So that's that's been very similar to my own journey in terms of finding where does the balance rely, right? And I always think we've got this push and pull mechanism of creating resilience and then dialing it back and recovering. And for me, I definitely have to remind myself to recover harder than I would naturally do all of the time. Um, but from your perspective, what are you finding in terms of that health optimization in terms of kind of habits, lifestyle, um, fitness? How, how does it all kind of fit together for you and for your clients? Yeah, sure. If it's okay with you, I'd actually like to spend just a moment here talking about the non-for-profit foundation, which I work sure. for. Is that okay? Yeah, because that actually it. helps provide the framework, if you will. And so uh, transcriptions, which is a company that I spend the majority of my time on, has a sister company called Health Optimization Medicine and Practice, and that's a nonprofit. It's based in the United States. We also have, you know, I guess you can say uh, little, I don't know if you call them daughter companies or whatever you want to call it, daughter nonprofit foundations uh, around the world in places like Australia, Philippines, here in the Netherlands. And what health optimization medicine and practices is really uh, Dr. Ted Ochocoso, who's my mentor. Uh, what he's looking to establish is a framework to help educate doctors and practitioners on how to optimize for health. Now, let me explain that a little bit because immediately when we, when we say that, that needs a little bit of clarification. If you think about the word healthcare, right? I kind of chuckle a little bit about it in in the sense that uh, going back to my investment banking days, you know, the industry vertical of healthcare was predominantly, you know, biotech, health insurance companies, and the the like pharma. Uh, But all of these companies were really focused on how to treat and cure disease. And, and look, they, some of them do it very, very well, and they deserve to be rewarded. I have no qualms with that or capitalism or anything like that. Um, but when you start looking at what you actually use healthcare for, it's actually for disease management. Mm-hmm. And so what happens if you're a 20 something year old, who's probably overworking himself thinking that he's, or she is, you know, optimizing their health by doing all these CrossFit workouts and sounds like some of the things that you're doing, Angela, as well. Uh, But what, where do you go when you're looking to just not only protect your downside, but optimize for more? Where do you go when you want to go from 80 to 100? And so Dr. Ted actually developed this framework called uh, health optimization medicine and practice. And what we do is a rigorous amount of testing to assess really the health of something called your holobiont. And the holobiont is uh, really, uh, just to give you a little bit of a framework around that, is um, it's an idea proposed by Dr. Lynn Margolis in the early 90s. And essentially goes that you know our cells are actually made up of a symbiotic relationship between mitochondria and other ancient bacteria. And we also have other constituent organisms within our bodies. You have things like the gut microbiome, you have the skin microbiome, you have, you know, obviously the oral microbiome, if we're going to go down that route, you have the virome, you have fungi called the mycobiome, 
And collectively, all of these organisms make up something called the holobiont. And so what we actually propose is that uh, you are the health of your organisms, right? And so what we do with health optimization medicine and practice is uh, put people or we educate doctors and practitioners on how to optimize for health. And what does that look like practically, which gives you insight in sort of how I do this with my clients is that we start testing people at a cellular level using something called metabolomics. We then look at sort of different frameworks on how to optimize their health. Things like chronobiology, we look at uh, evolutionary biology, we look at mitochondrial health, like bioenergetics, epigenetics, and a whole host of others to really assess you. And what we're actually doing there is nutrient balancing. And in some cases, if you're able to prescribe hormone balancing. And so that's really the framework by which I've adopted in my, my own health consulting practice and actually gives everybody here listening a little bit of an overview of what we do in the foundation. Interesting. So in terms of that sounds like it would start with pretty extensive testing. Um, so that, so that you've actually got data to work with, what would you be looking at if you had someone come to you um, and you're trying to assess where their baseline health is right now? Absolutely. I mean, we'll, we'll start with just sort of that framework. And if you want me to, I can go in sort of a lower cost framework later. But uh, what we do is we give everybody blood, urine and stool tests. It's uh, one is a food sensitivities test. One is a plasma and urine uh, micronutrient deficiency test. And the other one is a three-day stool test. And what we're looking to do there is assess for nutrient imbalances on the case of the Genova NutriVal, which is the micronutrient test. Uh, we're looking for uh, low-grade inflammation in the gut in the form of food sensitivities. And then we're also looking for the presence of you know, things like dysbiosis or imbalances of bacteria in the gut, if you will, with the GIFX, which is uh, the three-day stool test that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the three-day one is good, isn't it? Because you don't actually shed everything every, every day. I am so glad you said that because it's just, it's funny <laughs> yeah. because there's uh, there's so many people out there that, you know, they that there's a lot of commercially available gut microbiome tests mm -hmm. and you do one sample, right? But how many times do people clear their entire intestinal tract in one sample? Yeah. Probably well, they don't, I tell you what surprises me is that um, if even if you go to a doctor, okay, they will only ever do one day if someone's ill and there's some sort of pathogen that they suspect, even though we know they don't shed every day. And what's so crazy is that we treat our dogs better. So my first experience when I had my golden retriever, like, 12 years ago was and he had an upset stomach the first thing the vet did was ask me to do a three-day stool sample <laughs> and it just seems crazy that in the uk we would treat the dogs better in a way than the humans right um yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean it's crazy what we'll do for our animals right and you get into a lot of the uh, the veterinary work around horses and things like that because my parents went to the university of kentucky so uh you know horse racing was sort of so something that we watch uh but yeah it's amazing it's just uh, the dog sometimes gets treated better than we do at least uh you know from a public health level mm, to try and get to the bottom of it mm. so that's the um the higher end in terms of if people have the budget to do those tests and i've run those tests myself with 
with clients. Um, for somebody who wants to do it on more of a budget, what would you be looking at? Would you kind of go more holistic with questionnaires or would you do limited testing? Well, it, it depends on what that limited budget is, right? Mm. And so for me, uh, most the framework that I operate under, and I only work with a handful of people, like I said, the majority of my time is spent on, on prescriptions, which we'll get into in a bit. But for somebody who's just looking to approach this uh, in a low cost manner, there's plenty of low cost surveys uh, that help bring awareness to what you're doing. So if you think about the majority of people, and I'm speaking about the majority, not the minority here. Uh, the question is, is, are they aware of the food that they're eating? Are they aware of how they're sleeping and how it makes them feel? And are they aware of things like stress? And so, uh, you know, how does stress affect them? And there's simple surveys, everything from, you know, I, I like the Institute of Functional Medicine's multi-symptom questionnaire, which is just sort of an assessment that I actually still run qualitatively on myself once a month. And it allows you to assess sort of where your, your pain points are. Um, there's also things like the, the Promise 10 Global, which allow you to track uh, your improvements over time. And there's things like the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality. I think it's the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index, which mm -hmm. I know our mutual friend, Greg Potter, yeah. is a big fan of in terms of being able to bring awareness to sleep. So if you're saying, look, I have no budget for this, but I do want to start somewhere. Well, I'm a big fan of bringing awareness to what it is you're doing in everyday life. And then to establish correlations between some of the things you're doing, like maybe drinking a little bit too much wine at night and how you're sleeping, uh, and then seeing those outcomes. So these little surveys, and frankly, back when I started in Quantified Self, it was basically me, a spreadsheet, because I was a banker and bankers love spreadsheets, and <laughs> me, a spreadsheet, and just sort of saying, you know, how do I feel today? One to five. Uh, you know, I had four glasses of wine last night. How did that make me feel? And you can start to bring awareness to that very, very quickly. And the good thing mm -hmm. is, is that success is addictive, right? And so once you start to see some modicum of success, you're going to, you know, hopefully look to double down on that success. And that could eventually bring you around to making a budget for testing. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what I find? It's funny. Success is addictive and health, don't you find, is addictive. Oh, and yeah. when you're working, like, there's no end to how far you can go that's the thing when you when you move away from disease and you start looking at health optimization you start to feel better then people are like oh my god I love this this is this feels amazing what can I do now what can I do now um, and it is very very um, addictive so let's look at transcriptions because I've kind of played a little bit uh, with a few transcriptions myself Mm -hmm. um, people who follow me on Instagram will have seen my blue tongue and know that I was another smurf. I've got but... one right now. <laughs> <laughs> you have one right now, do you? I do. Ah, so you've, you've prepared for this, this interview, I, do I, Well, one of the benefits is verbal fluency and I think it's a necessity yeah. when you're getting interviewed. So, well, I should have had some before this interview, clearly. Um, so let's break it down because you've just released a new product, which is mm -hmm. the, just the blue, the methylene blue. Mm -hmm. Um, should we go through? Because I think people will be excited to hear about the ingredients. Obviously, the nicotine component isn't necessarily for everyone. And I think yeah. that's great that we can have it now both ways. Um, but methylene blue, I mean, I saw Dave Asprey talking about how he uses it as an anti-aging serum and puts it on his face and actually mm -hmm. is careful not to use too much. Otherwise, mm -hmm. his face turns blue. But why don't we start with methylene blue? 
um, sure. and how that works. Uh, what, Angela, if it's okay, I want to explain sort of transcription's position and all of this. Yeah, sure, sure, go for it. So the way we look at product development in transcriptions is going back to the framework of health optimization medicine and practice. What we're actually practicing there is something called nutrient balancing and or hormone balancing, if you can uh, prescribe. And nutrient balancing, for the most part, takes a little bit of time. Uh, it usually takes three months. But oftentimes you have a client that comes up to you and is immediately experiencing something, right? Mm -hmm. So they're experiencing things like pain, anxiety, insomnia, um, in certain cases, short-term memory loss from things like jet lag. And so when we were looking at product development in terms of blue canatine and just blue, if you will, uh, what we were looking at there was actually solving Dr. Ted's issue, and candidly mine as well, and many global travelers around the world, is that when you start to travel around the world with a degree of frequency, what you actually do is you start to notice things like memory loss. And that's not great when, one, you're reliant so much on your memory to, to do various things, but also when you need to perform right after getting off the plane. And so when we're looking for, or Dr. Ted was really looking for solutions with this, uh, what he eventually arrived at was the formulation that became blue canatine. And so you can suspect that in the future, what we're actually going to be doing is looking at some of those other points that I mentioned, pain, anxiety, insomnia, and looking at ways to deal with those. Because after all, everything that prescriptions does goes to serve sort of that framework of health optimization, medicine, and practice. So you asked a question about big blue and methylene blue. And so methylene blue is just one of these fascinating compounds that I, I just, I'm a nerd for history. And so uh, just going back in the history of methylene blue, it's been around for over 120 years. It was actually the first uh, chemical pomp compound approved by the FDA. And in 1891, it was used for the treatment of malaria. It's an antiviral. It's an antifungal. It's also been studied for, uh, studied for use in things like neurocognitive decline or neurodegeneration. Uh, it's been studied pre-COVID-19 for the use of uh, its effects and benefits against uh, treatment of coronaviruses. And so th that's a very fascinating compound. And by the way, it was used in World War II with General MacArthur in the South Pacific. And the, it, what's interesting is, is that most of the, the troops there complained about how bad it tasted, right? Uh, which to be fair, pure methylene blue does not taste very good at all. And so when we're looking at it from a transcriptions perspective, you know, what are the benefits of methylene blue that we enjoy. And one of it is this idea of mitochondrial respiration. Uh, so methylene blue serves as an electron donor. Going down the chain, what does that actually lead to? It leads to an increase in ATP in the body, adenosine triphosphate being an energy currency of the body. That's very fascinating, right? It's also very beneficial when it comes to memory and just really looking at ways to boost memory. You know, some of, the, some of the studies out there have really just looked at just so much when it comes to enhancing brain 
uh, enhancing brain function, that it's, it's just a fascinating compound. And so when we were looking at methylene blue, we included five milligrams of it in the first, uh, the first product, which was blue canatine, and we included 16 in the just blue. Now, it's, um, it's just such a fascinating compound, and it's still used today in the hospitals for things like, and I'm going to try and pronounce this right, uh, methaglomemia, which is essentially when it's very hard to get oxygen in the cells. Uh, methylene blue doesn't uh, help that. It also helps with elderly patients and urinary tract infections. So if it's helping get oxygen into the cells, then when people are having, because one of the main things I remember, and we're seeing less of it now because not so many people, certainly here in the UK in the hospitals at the moment, but one of the things that came out with coronavirus is that when they were on ventilators, um, they were getting the oxygen into the lungs, but then the transfer wasn't taking place. So actually oxygenating the tissues um, wasn't really very effective. So people were getting things like multiple organ failure. Are you saying that methylene blue actually helps to increase oxygenation of the tissues? So it, it certainly does. And in, in many cases now, I, there hasn't been studies of it against COVID-19. I know that there are people that are investigating that, but there hasn't been studies released. What we do know is that prior to COVID-19, it was studied as a mechanism for uh, the treatment of other coronaviruses. Okay. Interesting. And in terms of if it's, when it, just so, so people can kind of understand the mechanism without getting too sciencey. So it's donating an electron. So mm -hmm. is it also then helping reduce oxidative stress in the body? It does. And it so it actually has um, sort of this auto oxidation feature that uh, it's, it's a fascinating chemical. And I had the pleasure of somebody that I should connect you to, Angela, is uh, Dr. Francisco Gonzalez Lima. I've had him on my podcast. Okay. And he's one of the foremost experts on cytochrome oxidase and looking at methylene blue, you know, it's an autooxidant feature. So it, when it need, when your body needs an electron, it donates it. When it needs to take away, it'll take it away. And oh, so wow. a few chemicals out. It's adaptive. There. Yes. Amazing. That's interesting. And you were saying like you've taken it before this interview because it enhances verbal fluency and you were looking there a little bit at cognition as well um, anyway in terms of like links with Alzheimer's. How is it doing that specifically in terms of improving brain function? Yeah, sure. So if you look at uh, it, what it's been studied for is the how it improves spatial memory. And so there was a, a study that actually... Um, looked at just spatial memory specifically among a smaller population and saw that low dose methylene blue uh, actually had a benefit for improving spatial memory. What you mentioned there was verbal fluency and I actually attribute some of the verbal fluency to come from another ingredient in the product of blue canatine that is, uh, which is nicotine. Oh, okay, that's that. So we'll come to that. So spatial by spatial memory, um, you mean in terms of recollecting things in time and space, so events, correct? Um, Long-term memory. Mm -hmm. uh, well, in short, it does have. And short time where you've left something. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. So connecting those things to, interesting. And so if we're looking before we before we get onto the blue canatine, which obviously contains many more ingredients. In terms of taking just the methylene blue on its own, is that does that come on its own? It's just methylene blue, is it? Yeah, so one? just blue is the second product that we produce. And actually this was um, using a finance term, reverse inquiry. So it was a reverse inquiry from all of our Smurfs, if you will, 
that were asking for a product that didn't have caffeine in it and didn't have nicotine predominantly. Those were the two requests. Okay. Um, there was also requests of people that saw some of these studies going out of methylene blue and neurodegenerative um, issues. And so what we did was, is we created a trochee, uh, a buccal trochee, and we can go into what that means here in a minute, minute, but that is 16 milligrams of methylene blue. And so when would I take, because you very kindly sent me a few mm -hmm. of these Just Blues to try, when would I take them um, and what kind of period would I expect to see a benefit? So what's the best way to optimize the use of them? Sure. So let's talk, we'll talk specifically about Just Blue first, yeah. um, and then we'll get into blue canatine a little bit later. So Just Blue comes in the form of buccal trochee, which a buccal trochee, just for people that are unfamiliar with it, is something, um, think of it as a lozenge, but we stick it between our upper lip and our gum and it dissolves there. Now you asked a question about when you would take it and how long does it last? So as it's dissolving, it typically takes between 15 and 30 minutes for people to, for it to feel an effect and for it to dissolve. Now, when it dissolves fully, you have what's, what we refer to in blue canatine as the limitless experience for four to six hours. Now with just blue, the beauty of just blue, and I like many others enjoy my coffee and the added caffeine of blue canatine can sometimes put me over my caffeine limit. Uh, so sometimes in many days I'll use just blue. And the beauty of just blue is that we can really just, we can really isolate some of those benefits of methylene blue and it doesn't necessarily have that wakefulness promotion. So you don't have to necessarily worry about the time of day. Uh, just to give you an example, when we were doing a launch party for Just Blue with many of our, our Smurf fans, if you will. I took Just Blue before that launch party. It was 9 p.m. at night in Amsterdam. Really no issues getting to bed because there wasn't any sort of caffeine or adenosine receptor blocking, if you will. Interesting. Okay. Um, so actually, if you really want to kind of be on top form and you've got something in the evening, that's a good, a good time to take it. And you say that the effects last around four to six hours. So could, how many times like, can you overdose? How many times a day could you take it? Um, so we recommend to people that take no more than four turkeys a day with both just blue and blue canatine. Really the side effect of, of both is the blue tongue. And so if you can tolerate a blue tongue, taking four trochees a day is totally possible. Okay, um, if you can tolerate it, if you don't feel that you're gonna look too odd in your, in your corporate meetings. I, I, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess, well, the question is, is you know, why does it matter anymore when we're all virtual, right? Yeah. And if blue is the new smart, as we like to say, it's, it's just a way for, for me, I use it for a lot of strategic thinking, right? And so it allows me to access memory and um, it helps me think a little bit wider, specifically uh, that case, blue canatine. But with just blue, when you really need to hone in on something and, and do some work and some focus work, I find it very effective for that. Mm. So for that mental focus, have you noticed anything if you've taken it in the evening with dream sleep? Um, not specifically there? with me, but okay. I, I'm trying to think of uh, just in terms of some of the effects that I've seen with methylene blue, not necessarily in dream sleep, but I have seen it with meditations. And so when you're, 
when you take methylene blue or just blue in this case, I have found myself in deeper meditations for sure. I'm going to try that then. That's interesting. So as in you found that you can get into a deeper kind of almost transcendental state that you slip into it more easily or that you can hold that and have a kind of clearer mind for longer. What have you noticed there? Uh, more, a little bit of both actually, but let's okay. talk about just sort of uh, the onset of meditation. Usually let's say I meditate in the middle of the day, there's a thousand things going on and you sit down and meditate. And usually it takes a period of time in order for that meditation to order for you to just sort of settle in, if you will. Mm -hmm. That period of time for me is much shorter. Interesting. I'm going to try that actually then before my afternoon meditation, because mm -hmm. interesting, you can stack those together then, right? Because mm -hmm. what I find is that actually a lot of people say, oh, I don't have time to do the meditation. The meditation in and of itself gives you another kind of really good four to five hours productivity I've found and makes oh, you absolutely. more efficient. So stacking those two together, I'm going to have a play with that. That sounds fun. Um, What's funny is, is about meditation, you know, Russell Simmons, who founded Def Jam Records said, if you don't have time, you know, he had somebody that told him, you know, I don't have time to meditate. And he's like, well, then you need three hours to meditate, right? Yeah. <laughs> I find yeah. it to be one of those Archimedes lovers in my productivity as well. I do. And I also find uh, that it really helps with emotional regulation. Absolutely. Uh, for me. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. And and clarity of thinking as well. When you're mm -hmm. both both creativity, I find, and mental clarity, just your the clutter is gone. And mm -hmm. I find that because some people get frustrated, I think so, a slight side issue here, but they get frustrated with meditation because they're like, I can't quieten the mind. And sometimes you can get into what's known, I guess, as the bliss field much more easily. And then other times it seems impossible. But actually the effects afterwards are still very very profound they're almost better because I find that 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 moving of the thoughts up and out is what then leads to that clarity later on in the day mm -hmm. um, because you've kind of let everything bubble up and gone so I don't actually think you can have a bad meditation quote I, I completely agree with you anytime yeah. I spend meditating it usually pays off three to five x than what the time yeah. I did same here same here so on um now the the, met, the Just Blue has obviously like triple, I've written down here pretty much, um, more just over triple the blue that's in the blue canatine. Mm -hmm. So before we get into the blue canatine, what would be, apart from the fact that we're not having the nicotine and the caffeine, and we've got these um, benefits in terms of cognition and focus from the blue, is 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 there a certain time that you would say, actually, you're better off going with just blue here above and beyond things like it's not going to interrupt the sleep, for example, if you're having it in the evening, would you use like, let, if we were looking at, say, getting into a flow state, so you've got a big bit of writing, for example, that you want to do, or you're, something that's very creative, is one of these going to work better than the other? Yeah, I usually prefer blue canatine for the flow state effect. If you really want to get locked in, uh, I find blue canatine to be a little bit more effective for that. Uh, when it comes to just, just blue, I, I love just blue because again, there's no time constraint there. If I need that little boost in the evening to just get my brain you know, revved up a little bit, it's, it's there and it dissolves really quickly. I only take a half a turkey and we can talk about dosing here in a little bit, uh, but a half a turkey does just very, very well for me. 
Now, when you say half a trochee, they come in like a four, don't they? I don't, I don't have one here. Do you have one there? Yeah, we can explain so. it. So just for every, anybody who's watching the video, and I have the little bag here, but uh, picture a trochee as, uh, you know, hosting a podcast, sometimes I become good at describing things in audio as well. Uh, so picture a trochee as a, just a square. And it's a square lozenge that, again, you stick into your upper lip and it dissolves. Ours comes pre-quartered. It's not separated, but you can, you know, bite it off or slice it off however you will. And we always recommend people, you know, whether it is blue canatine or whether it is just blue, to start with a half. And really dependent on, you know, muscle, uh, muscle mass, but also uh, caffeine, uh, particularly with blue canatine, caffeine, um, tolerance and whether or not you're a uh, heavy meditator really depends on if you need to go above a half or perhaps decrease uh, your dosage. Okay. So that would be like two of the little cubes, basically. Exactly. Because exactly. I remember when I first tried the blue canatine, I had <laughs> a complete newbie. I think I had all four okay. and it was on an empty stomach. Mm. <laughs> I went for a run and I felt a bit, a bit nauseous. So <laughs> the team were like, Okay, that maybe is a lot for you. You mentioned muscle mass there. Does it depend at all on weight and size? So I'm fairly slight. Like, would I need slightly less than, say, someone who was bigger than me? I mean, Angela, we can talk a little bit about you specifically. In terms of caffeine, how much caffeine are you currently in? So I think then I'd also had a coffee in prep for that run. So I probably had too much caffeine, uh, mm -hmm. which I do find will cause a bit of gastric and irritation if I do that. Um, I tend to have uh, two coffees in the morning, which mm -hmm. is a shot of espresso that I have at home, my own beans. So what would that be? That would be two not that much, two shots. It's not that much caffeine, I don't think. So a double espresso is 80 milligrams of caffeine. In blue canatine, you get 50. Um, okay. So so it's, it's very interesting. Um, so let's go back to just dosing and dosing protocols, right? And so if you're smaller, yeah, there's a chance that you probably need a little bit less of it. Uh, we have people, bodybuilders like Chris Gethin that have uh, tried it and he's got so much muscle mass as well as intake of caffeine that he needs two in order to get started, two whole trochies that is. Oh, wow. But, you know, some people, myself included, only really need a half. And it really depends on what I outlined before, which is your caffeine tolerance, but also how much of a meditator you are, as well as muscle mass. So explain that. How does how much of a meditator you are make a difference? It's just, it's funny. It's not, there's nothing really scientific about it other than we yeah. observed um, among our population of Smurfs that people who are heavy meditators tend to need it a little bit less mm. than others. Okay. Maybe because they can access their mental state a little bit more easily on demand. I mean, hypothetically, yes. Hypothetically. And why does muscle mass make a difference specifically? Like does body fat also have an impact or because you mentioned muscle mass specifically? There. Yeah, it's uh, again, a little bit, a little bit out of my wheelhouse for that one. But I think, you know, just the, the larger you are, it may be harder for it to absorb into certain tissues, but that's all. Okay. Um, so blue canatine obviously has the caffeine, so 50 milligrams. And it also has nicotine, which you mm -hmm. were mentioning earlier, helps with the verbal fluency. Um, and it has a little bit of hemp, right? 
So yeah, and so hemp crystals beautifully derived is what we like to call it. Beautifully derived. Mm-hmm. Um, so does it contain um, what? What does it? What? How much hemp is in it? I guess. So it's uh, five milligrams of hemp crystals beautifully derived, and you can look at that as something similar-ish to CBD. Um, and so it's it's a relatively micro amount. So if you think about blue canatine as a whole. What we did was we took uh, micro amounts of each ingredient, combined them together to get a more uh, beautiful effect, if you will. And so when we look at things like methylene blue, well, the dose dependent curve says uh, greater than five milligrams per kilogram is probably where you're gonna end up in doing more harm to yourself than, than good. And we only have five milligrams in one trochee. We also limit people to four trochees a day. Uh, when it comes to nicotine, we have one milligram, and I can spend a little bit of time on nicotine if you want in a little bit. We have five milligrams of something called a hemp canna, and then we have, of course, 50 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. Um, and so the caffeine, you say, helps with the verbal fluency. It also helps it just like that um, waking up, um, being more alert. Caffeine, um, the, the world's, the world's nootropic, right? Like yeah, it is. Everybody it's amazing. Loves, it, it's such a good, you know, I love coffee and much like you, I have my espressos in the morning, um, but it's, it's a nootropic that we're all familiar with and we use it to help with alertness. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of the hemp, does that, is that, does that contain any THCs? Is it full spectrum? How does that work? Uh, there's no THC in it uh, because we can't, you can't export THC. Now, transcriptions itself may look at producing THC products in the future, but that would be for distribution in places like California. But blue canatine is 100% non-THC. Uh, okay. And so think of it as, as like CBD. And what we use it for and have uh, hypothesized is that uh, if you take something like a nicotine um, in certain, if you take nicotine, there's a very sharp rise. And so hemp canna helps round off that rise so that you don't okay. necessarily feel that, that sharp. Uh, I've had friends describe it as a headache uh, from taking pure nicotine. And so what it does is it helps really round it out and extend the feeling. Okay. So it's almost getting that <clears throat> release a little bit more slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And the nicotine you say is one milligram. Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. So to, I mean, I don't smoke, but to compare it, how much nicotine is in a cigarette? Cause that's what people will be most familiar with. Like, yeah. So uh, I, I believe, so the absorbable nicotine in a cigarette, so that's not total nicotine. That's the absorbable one is around two milligrams per cigarette. Right now, okay. when we look at, let's just talk about, um, Cause I think I feel the question behind the question here, right? Angela is like, when we start talking about nicotine, everybody's like, okay, are you going to get addicted to it? Mm. Right. And so is nicotine addictive? Yes, it is. Um, but that also depends on the mechanism of intake. And so smoking has a higher likelihood of pla- passing the blood brain barrier, but there's other things in cigarettes that really help optimize for the addiction, if you will. Uh, when you look at other ways of taking it, you have sort of the sprays or the inhalers, if you will. And then you have things like lozenges and then edibles. Skin patches as well. Yeah, skin patches too. And so, you know, 
speaking to other doctors, we've, we've got cases of people that are on skin patches for decades and haven't really had any issues, if you will. Uh, but if you look at just kind of addiction properties there that I, that I just laid out, so it goes from, you know, most addictive being the smoking to least addictive being somewhat of an edible, if you will. Um, and what we have is the buccal mucosa. And so what we're doing is we're absorbing or kind of bypassing some of our digestive systems and we're only giving you one milligram. So if you look at kind of, if you look at what the New England Journal of Medicine has said, as well as some of my conversations with experts in the world, like Dr. Neil Grunberg, the question that I always have is what amount of nicotine is considered an addictive amount? And it's usually what they've both arrived at is somewhere between five and eight milligrams per day. We limit you at four. So if you think about it that way, um, you know, we try to, to minimize that as much as possible, but we want the benefits of nicotine because you and I have both in the biohacking space for a long time. We know that there's, there's many, many benefits of it. Yeah. Many benefits. And the, so the other thing is, so you're bypassing digestion here and basically it's sublingual, right? So the idea is that you let this slowly. Now, I think that is the other thing. It tastes nice and minty. So I think that um, the temptation can be to slightly chew it. So mm -hmm. how long should it take you? Should you be, because you mentioned as well, I thought it was to be sucked on, but you mentioned that it should really be between your gum and your upper lips. It's kind of up underneath here, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's where you would so, put it. Uh, buccal trochies have been used in the, the medical world for a very long time uh, for things like oxytocin and others, but uh, it's a relatively new delivery system for particularly the biohacking space. And so when you take a trochee, you stick it in your upper lip and you let it dissolve. Uh, ideally, when you let it dissolve, you enter into something called half smurf mode, which is when your tongue is half dyed. But some people like to swish it around in the top of their mouth. And in order to, to really get the most effective um, experience with blue canatine or just blue, we do recommend that you try to limit the interactions with saliva and you don't really want to chew it or swallow it. Okay. And you were saying, so ideally you get the half tongue because you're just keeping it on one side. Mm -hmm. What's the reason for that? Is it just to limit that saliva trans uh, like intermingling? If you move it even around the top lip, then you're getting more saliva or Perfect. is there a benefit? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Angela, you got it. Okay. Right. Okay. So, and it's the same for the just blue as well. Exactly. So you want to let it dissolve on one side, ideally. Uh, we do have people that like to go full Smurf and we encourage you to do what you like to a, a certain extent. We certainly don't want you to swallow it. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, if you move it around, you'll end up with a full tongue. And so you can give Gene Simmons a run for his money. Um, I like that. Okay. So, and the other thing the team mentioned to me actually when I tried it and I felt slightly nauseous was A, I was having too much, um, but also um, not to have it on an empty stomach. Is that right? Can that make a difference? It, it can in some people. Like okay. for instance, uh, first, when I look at your particular scenario, um, for first time users, we always recommend starting with a half or even a quarter of a trochee, depending on your sensitivity. Uh, and so in your case, it just may have been the fact that you just took too much the first time. Uh, but yes, it, it could have some impact if you do have some food in your stomach um, from preventing things like nausea. 
Okay. And are there any interactions that you can't take it with certain things? Very um, good question. Uh, so SSRIs are, you know, methylene blue in general with SSRIs is something that you would want to avoid. Um, part of that is just because a methylene blue does have MAOI properties. Um, okay. And so SSRIs are the, the one that we usually guide people to, uh, which in certain aspects does mean that those who are users of things like psychedelic medicine, um, you shouldn't necessarily take the two together. Okay. And is this because the methylene blue, when you mentioned the SSRI, so that's having some kind of impact in terms of serotonin levels, presumably? Correct. And okay. so what it could potentially lead to is, um, and again, this is relatively few and far between, but it could potentially lead to serotonin syndrome. And so we don't want anybody to uh, experience that. Yeah. Okay. I can't really see a reason why somebody would do this, but you did mention you can have just blue in the evening. So what would be the interaction that you mentioned a party if someone has it with a glass of wine? Would it interact with alcohol in any way? I, I personally, like I've tried that, but it was with natural wine and I haven't noticed any sort of effect, but no, nothing really. I think the question I would ask is if you're using a nootropic, um, you're potentially looking to enhance your brain function, presumably for a given task, um, unless you're using methylene blue every single day, uh, which is more looking at mitochondrial health and those kind of things. And so if you're using a nootropic to get something done, uh, does alcohol help in that is the question that I'd be asking those people. Yeah, no. And in that sense, actually, almost it would be like creating a friction. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And what about, I guess I have two more questions. One is, do the benefits um, increase over time? Is it something that you need to be consistent? You know, we talked about using it for a task, but does consistency help? So with things like lion's mane, actually just doing one-offs, the results are not so good as if you're mm -hmm. consistently having it. How does that work with this? Yeah, that's a good question. We haven't studied it yet. Um, okay. And it's something that we're actually running an experiment with now in terms of some of our, our fan population is just sort of what kind of the long term implications of methylene blue use are, as well as blue canatine use. Uh, we do have a couple of customers that use it every single day, and I know because I see their orders come through. Uh, but by and large, most of the population uses it for very specific tasks in order to, you know, roll up the sleeves and get stuff done. And so we find it very, very interesting for that. Now, I mean, hypothetically, does methylene blue, uh, methylene blue is a benefit to the mitochondria. And so if you have continuous use of it over time, could that benefit build over time? Absolutely but it hasn't really been uh, studied to my knowledge at this moment. Okay, and what about any kind of attenuation? So I know like with a lot of nootropics, for example, um, they'll say to take it for five days and then have a break for two days so you don't get that attenuation. Is that something that's a concern or could you take this every day and still get the same benefits? Yeah, it's, and theoretically uh, you could, it is, it is, we don't have too many people doing that, but yes, I believe we, you could get the same benefits every single day. Now, the question is, is over time, um, I, I guess you use attenuation, which also means tolerance, right? And so mm -hmm. over time, do you build up some sort of tolerance to the, the blue canatine? And uh, that, that is possible. So maybe I should re-record my answer and say that is possible. 
Yeah, so it's maybe better to take it. I guess as well, unless you're looking at the effects of uh, on mitochondrial health, there isn't a reason, right? In the same way, we shouldn't be on every single day because then we're not getting that recovery. Yeah, This is only just helping us switch on more. So mm. I kind of just want to finish then breaking down the kind of things that people are looking for when they're looking at optimization. So obviously we've got, and, and then looking at whether it would be blue carnitine or methylene blue um, in these scenarios, just so people can understand how to use them and the sort of timing before. I think you mentioned, is it the case with both of them that you want to allow about 15 to 30 minutes to have the full effects of it? Um, mm-hmm. So let's say, uh, I'll give you some, I'll throw out some scenarios. So somebody on this occasion, uh, they actually just have to get through a lot of volume of work. So it's maybe more of an admin based day and they just want to power through and complete all of their tasks on productivity. Which one would they opt for? Uh, you know, for a situation like that, um, blue canatine, I found to be very, very effective for the, the locked in feeling, if you will. And so if you have a situation like that, um, where you need to be locked in and just running through a boatload of tasks, yes, blue canatine can be very, very helpful. You just want to get stuff done. And then you mentioned as well, if you want to get into more of a flow state, blue canatine is also better. So yeah, yeah. so both. And so it's interesting because um, you're, you're asking a very good question as to um when should I use blue canatine versus just blue? Mm-hmm. And, you know, blue canatine, I find is sort of that, that wide focus, meaning that I can get a lot of things done, uh, but I still, I haven't really shut off the world behind, um, around me. Whereas just blue is something more like a, a clear focus, which is uh, if I have that, you know, one or two things right in front of me, uh, I can certainly get those done and be able to, just work through the rest of my day. So it's kind of like the just blue helps you to zone in a little bit better. Whereas if you want to keep that wide, wider focus, the blue canatine. And so for meditation, it's the just blue, presumably. Um, I, well, you can use both. And this okay. again is, is very dependent on the person, but I found blue canatine to be very, very effective with meditation as well. Have you? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And what about if you're taking other nootropics, other natural compounds? Is there any reason why you can't um, put the two together? Uh, I am just trying to think of ones off the top of my head that I take. And, you know, I'll, I'll take ashwagandha daily and I won't worry about that interacting with um, blue canatine, although ashwagandha is, functions more like an adaptogen in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I necessarily, like, I'm not a massive fan of of stacking too many things, but there aren't too many contraindications when it comes to the ingredients in uh, blue canatine or just blue, other than the SSRIs, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah, sure. And I guess another question I have, which has kind of come to me is, what about exercise? Um, mm-hmm. Can you use this prior to kind of going and hitting that workout? Yeah, it's funny that you asked that because I just did a workout right before this. And one of the things that I find with exercise is that for longer workouts where it is required to be more methodical, I'm actually much more relaxed. And so I'm more relaxed in the pacing. And if you think of something like Murph and CrossFit in terms of the the length of that workout, I find it to be very, very useful with that. Um, I also use it for, you can see right behind me, my Carol bike, and I will use it on those sprints as well. So I found it, yeah, very, very effective in terms of 
rather than going at a workout and just going all out, it actually helps me pace a lot better. Okay. So works very well then for an endurance based workout, mm-hmm. or if you were doing kind of higher volume, lower repetition, uh, sorry, higher repetition, lower weight training, for example, but less so, but then you mentioned sprints as well, right? So it works for power-based workouts as well. Well, it does. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. Um, The way I kind of look at that is, is if we go back to the idea of focus is if you're bringing focused awareness to your workout, uh, whether it be power or endurance, you know, I find it to be very, very effective for those types of workouts. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, probably quite good as well. If you've got a long drive. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, I was driving from, uh, from Amsterdam down to Belgium, which is, it was about a seven hour drive. And so during that time I did take blue canatine because it is very, very effective for just being on the road. Right. Mm, yeah. And so if you've taken it, say for example, you took one quarter and then you weren't really noticing the effects would you then take another one? And do you find that sometimes, like, I know you take a half, do you then leave it like the four to five hours or do you sometimes take a little bit more on top within that window? Uh, personally, I just will only take a half and I don't top up at the end, if that's what you're asking. What we usually recommend with people is to see the dose the full way through. And then the next time you're going to dose yourself, increase it. So let's say you take a quarter and you're not noticing an effect over the course of that four to six hours. The next time you want to take blue canatine, well, okay, increase it to a half and then see what it does for you. Okay. And what about um, people, I think you have an age limiter on your site. I think you have to be 18 years old. So this is not something that students under the age of 18 should be using. Well, correct. There's nicotine in blue canatine. There's nicotine in it. And we just in general recommend people under the age of 18 consult. Uh, well, you can't use it if there's nicotine in it. Yeah. Okay. But even the methylene blue, it's better to stay away mm-hmm. if you're underage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. That was fascinating. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any more questions, but I've asked so many that I hopefully for the listeners have asked lots of questions that uh, will answer them. Um, I guess the last thing is, where can you find them? Because initially they weren't readily available in the UK. Pure health supplements, I believe, stock them. Yeah, so we, um, we have a sort of agreement with pure health supplements in the UK, and they have both blue canatine and just blue. And so if you're in the UK, you can use the code Angela10 and you'll get yourself a 10% discount. Um, But if you're in the US, of course, churchscriptions.com is the way to go. And the same code works for a 10% discount. Brilliant. Amazing. So I will link to all of that in the show notes. And um, also, where can people find out more about you on Boomer? I know that we connected over Instagram, but please link to where they can find out more about you. Yeah, it's... Everything about me is under Decoding Superhuman. So the podcast, the website, the uh, the Instagram, as you mentioned, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Um, so before you go, what would be your final top three tips for becoming superhuman? Oh, such a good question. Um, it's always hard to distill things down into three, isn't it? And I'm, I'm sure there are more, but if you could pick the three that you think. Uh, number one, I think, would be measure. So uh, 
uh, when it comes to uh, just looking at the world right now, you're getting bombarded with information. All of us are experiencing information overload. Uh, but how do you create a filter for yourself to determine what is useful for me and what is useful or, or not useful to me and I can just kind of cast off? And that's where measurement comes into play. Some of these frameworks that you and I talked about earlier are certainly possible, but I just encourage everyone really to, to measure and to, to focus on just kind of getting the data of you right first. And so once you have that data, you'll be able to really glance at what is right for you and what's not. Um, number two is stress well. And what do I mean by that? Because I have a, a history of perfectionism and anxiety. And so what do I mean by stress well? And I guess you can actually call this hyphenated meditation. Um, so how do we perceive stress? Because stress, stress is not going away. If you're a high performer, and presumably everybody listening to the show is, uh, you know, stress is not going away. And so how do you adapt to stress? How do you take stress and become stronger as a result or become anti-fragile using the words of Talib? Well, that requires building resilience. And one of the most effective tools that I've found in terms of building resilience is, is presence, but also uh, building presence through meditation. Yeah. And number three is always the hardest one because there's so many things that I, you know, want to go into here. Uh, and we can either go eat or sleep, or something to do with eating or something to do with sleeping, but I'm going to go sleep. And so if you want to become superhuman, sleep is very important. I'm sure you get a lot of these people. And I used to be one of these people who would come to you and say like, I sleep four to six hours a night and I don't have time to do anything else. Right. Uh, but the fact is, is we know through the study of things like lymphatics that your brain functions at its absolute best when you're sleeping. And so what I always recommend to people is to get seven to eight hours of sleep. And a lot of that will, will help determine how the rest of your, your day goes. And so in some ways, two and three actually do serve each other. So I mm -hmm. find that when I have resilience, when I have presence, when I stress well, if you will, that I do sleep a hell of a lot better. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And then the sleep also helps you in turn become more resilient and handle things. Absolutely. Um, those are, those are amazing. That I, I prioritize those and sleep is a big one for me. Mm -hmm. um, you can't leave us on a cliffhanger though now, because you said I can go eat or sleep. So now we have to hear what your, <laughs> what was your eat? Yeah. So most, I look at diets and it's kind of, it's kind of funny because we get very dogmatic about diets. Right. And, you know, now carnivore is very trendy. A year ago it was keto. Uh, a year before, year or two before that, it was paleo. And, you know, there's almost this, this kind of cult-like bandwagon behind these. And all of these are, are good for certain types of people. But, but the fact is, is that, um, you know, certain types of people, it may not be good for. And so what are some basic principles that people can go by when it comes to diet before they, they measure? Well, eating real food is a good start. And just looking at the ingredients, and if you can't pronounce it, it probably doesn't really belong in your body. Uh, and so looking at, you know, meat, fish, vegetables, and, you know, good healthy fats, so olive oil, avocado oil, in certain cases, butter, if you don't have a lactose issue, uh, ghee, and the like, 
and using those as sort of foundations for your diet, um, it's a great way to get started in that. Now, number one, measurement will help you optimize that um, in terms of what it means for you. But that's just a good foundational principle for people to, to go by until they have the means with to, to figure out a little bit more about themselves. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, again, it comes back to your first point, which is actually like tracking data yeah. as soon as you have data. And, and even just that simple exercise of working out how you felt after you ate a food, like 30 minutes afterwards and two hours can give you a tremendous insights into how your body is reacting to it. Um, Thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed that. And uh, I'm sure the listeners have too. And um, I will link to everything that we've spoken about in the show notes, including where they can get these transcriptions, which I highly recommend trying. I'm going to definitely play around with a bit of the pure blue over the next few days. Um, and so thanks again, Boomer. It's amazing to have you on the show. Angela, it's so good to, well, finally meet you and have this conversation. Yes, for sure. Um, amazing. Thank you. If you want to work smarter, not harder, like me, and would like to try the Just Blue or the Blue Canatine, then head over to purehealth-supplements.com, where Boomer has set up a very special discount code for listeners of this podcast. You can get 10% off by entering code ANGELA10 at checkout. So head over to purehealth-supplements.com and enter code ANGELA10 at checkout. And then tag me on social media and we can share our blue tongues together. Um, just worth to note that if you are taking SSRIs or you have other contraindications, then you wouldn't be able to take this. So always check with your medical doctor before taking any supplements. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.